All right, if you got your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 3 is where we are today. However, you access those. If you're not familiar with looking up Scripture, most of the passages will be on the screen behind me this morning. And we are in the middle of this series called Balance. We are studying these two books in the Bible called 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. There's actually a city still going today on the Aegean Sea. It's a beautiful uh, port city, but it was one of the places that Paul absolutely fell in love with. He fell in love with the people there. He fell in love with the place there. Uh, I think if Paul would have not been called to be a missionary and travel all around, he would have probably gone to Thessalonica and just stayed there and enjoyed doing life and ministry there. But God had other plans for him. But this was a place that he was really connected. But it was also a church when he got it started that was brand new. And when he had to leave, he kind of had to be ushered out of town very quickly uh, because of some things that were going on. He, He left behind a group of people that really were brand new to the faith and didn't have a lot of leadership and a lot of connectivity. And he was writing this letter back to them to kind of give them some idea of how to live this balanced Christian life, that there are going to be ups and downs, highs and lows. There's going to be moments of incredible joy and moments of incredible pain. But yet he was like, that is how we learn to walk in faith. Sometimes we're walking up. Sometimes we're going down. Sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we're getting picked up. And our lives are like that, aren't they? I mean, at our lives, we have to learn to live in balance. We've talked about it, you know, physically, financially, all of these things. We we get things out of balance that will bring consequence into our life. I remember growing up, we used to go to amusement park Six Flags. There's one in Jersey. And they used to have this thing where you would climb up this ladder. And if you could get to the top and ring the bell, but the ladder was real uneven. I don't know if you've ever done that, like at a fair or any or at Six Flags or anything like that. And you would get on there and you'd have your whole body like laying prone, holding on to this ladder. And you know, if you made one wrong move, that ladder would flip around and you'd go flying off and you'd never get up to the bell. You never get to the goal that you're trying to reach. And our lives feel like that sometimes, don't they? Even our spiritual lives feel like that, like, I am just barely hanging on. If I make one move, God is just going to spin this thing around, and I'm going to go flying. I don't know where I'm going to end up. And this is what Paul is teaching. This is what these letters are about, or how to learn to live in this balanced life, that it's never going to be steady. It's never going to be easy. It's never going to be simple. So how do we learn to move through it with grace and, and with ease, even though it won't be easy? And we've been looking back over the last a uh, couple of chapters of, of what that means, of how it means to have camaraderie with one another and yet sometimes to be isolated as well and how we are molded, but then we're used to, as a mold to model to other people. And today in, ver- in chapter 3, we're looking at a very another contrasting experience in the journey of what it means to follow Christ. And Paul here reminds us that at certain times in our life, we are going to sp- experience both calamity in our life and comfort in our life. They're both going to be there. And a lot of times we sell, and I think sometimes the church and sometimes we as believers sell the Christian life as a life of ease and all comfort. And if you just follow Jesus, your life will be better. And I would say this, if you follow Jesus, you will have peace to endure. You will have hope beyond hope. But it's not always easy. It's not free of calamity. It's not free of pain. And we've got to understand, and Paul is talking here about this this balance that we're going to have between calamity in our life and comfort. And sometimes our lives will be defined by peace and joy and excitement and faith. And other times as believers, they're going to seem to be driven by anxiety, fear, distress, and discomfort. 
Paul had experienced both. This is a normal part of the balanced life. And we're going to see in a minute when we look at this chapter that actually at this moment when Paul's writing this letter, he's having a pretty tough go of it. Things are not going well for him at that moment. But at the same time, he had just received a report from Timothy about how good things were going for the church in Thessalonica, how good they were doing. And this is a definite contrast between this group of Christians feeling comfort and this one person feeling calamity in their life. Think about your life for a minute. Think about how our lives sometimes can feel like a roller coaster, right? We're filled with emotional, spiritual, and relational, physical ups and downs. One moment our lives seem to be going perfectly smoothly, up, 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 and then all of a sudden the bottom seems to just drop out unexpectedly, and now our lives are hurtling toward disaster. But just as fast as we hit the bottom, it's like it pulls back up, and now we're climbing Again, it's this roller coaster. And if you look back over this year, the, the last five years, ten years, every, you can see these ups and downs, these roller coasters of our life. I was looking up, and I was thinking about some roller coasters I remember riding and some of the crazy names of roller coasters. The one I grew up with was called the Scream Machine. Like, it was designed to make you scream. There's another one called the Mind Bender. You know, you literally get on it like, we're going to make you crazy. The, the, one of my favorites at Disney is the Tower of Terror. People line up to get on the Tower of Terror. There's one called the Abyss, the Cyclone, the Buzzsaw, the Black Hole. People pay money to get on these things, to go on these rides and be terrified. And a lot of times we spend our life trying to feel like we get, how do we get off of this roller coaster in life? How do we get out of this in our physical lives, our emotional lives, our spiritual lives? And Paul's saying, it's not happening. Sometimes, though, for us, not just that life goes up and down, but the crazier thing is that many times our physical lives, our emotional lives, our relational lives, our spiritual lives, they're all running on different tracks, right? I mean, sometimes we can be doing great physically, but emotionally we are just plummeting. Our man, vocationally and financially things are going up, 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 but our marriage and other relationships are just tanking. And there's no better feeling when everything is going up, but there is no worse feeling than when all of those things are going down at the same time. And this balance of calamity and comfort is something that we have to learn to manage in multiple areas of our lives at the same time. So what I want us to do is read through this short chapter together and see how Paul is experiencing calamity and his church comfort and see what we can learn from how they lived it out in each of their circumstances. So First Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, we're going to see first the depths of calamity. And it says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves knew that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass. And as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for the fear of someone that made the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. What is calamity? After reading these opening verses, you kind of get a very distinct understanding that Paul's life is not going well at this moment. Multiple times he talks about afflictions that, he had, that he's facing. He talks about being destined for this, that he knew he was walking into this. He talks about being left behind, feeling alone. And he twice even says, I can bear it no longer. And what Paul isn't saying about this situation is that, but he, 
that he can't bear his situation, but he is concerned and fearful for the plight of the church in Thessalonica, that they may either be suffering like him or losing their faith because they heard of his suffering. He is in emotional distress for his friends. He's in physical danger in his current situation, and he is in a spiritual battle as he is trying to live out his faith in the midst of multiple afflictions. His life is filled with calamity. And I don't know about you, when I see Paul's situation, I can see calamity kind of falling into a few categories. It's one, sometimes when I just feel alone, I feel abandoned. Maybe in your life you have felt abandoned and and the people have distanced themselves from you and it just has brought emotional calamity into your life. You feel unconnected. Or maybe it's when you experience afflictions like these, like you mentioned, hardships that are just out of your control. Things that spring up in your life that you did not see coming. And they bring you immediate affliction. Or you knew they were coming. And they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. That's calamity. Maybe it's when you feel overwhelmed. When you just say, I, I can't bear it anymore. There's, that's too much. I need some help. I need something besides what is going on. And then I think calamity also comes when we don't see a way out. When we don't think that things can change. This feeling of aloneness. Of afflictions. Of being overwhelmed with no way out. It's kind of where Paul found himself in that moment. He was overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe you've been in a relationship and a breakup came out of nowhere. or A medical bill shows up. You had no idea that you were going to have to owe that much money. Or a physical diagnosis comes into your life that just racks your world. Maybe you've been fired at work or a new boss shows up and now your whole situation changes. I know sometimes growing up I would have... I'd walk in and things would be going well, I thought, and then mom and dad would say, we need to talk. And that was like, immediately I knew calamity was coming into my life in some way. I didn't know what it was or why it was, but they would, if they were ever sitting in the living room in the big chairs and they said, we need to talk, it was not a good talk. That was not the good place to be. And we all have those moments in our life when just things come in and they take control of us. Calamity can come into our lives unexpected and suddenly, or can crawl into our lives slowly and surely. But the truth is that everyone in here at some point is going to experience calamity in our lives. What I love about Paul, even in the moments, though, he, when he was feeling overwhelmed in the midst of affliction, he didn't lose hope. He didn't let go of our faith. And one of the things I want you to hear this morning is this. Salvation in Christ is not salvation from calamity, from these feeling overwhelmed, from feeling alone. It is actually peace and hope to walk through that suffering, to walk through the calamity. Let's look next at verse 6 through 10 and see the flip side of this, the heights of comfort. Paul is saying, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and he has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you will always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if we are standing fast with the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that you may see your face, face face-to-face supply what is lacking in your faith. What is comfort? It sounds like things are going pretty well for the people in this church. Timothy's report comes back. And he shared with Paul the good news that they are living their faith, they're showing love, how their example is being a comfort to everybody around them. It is a beautiful picture of looking at someone else's life and seeing the hope that can be of what would be 
one day. Looking at the church's situation, I think we can discern some examples of when comfort plays out in our life, and I've seen it in my life. I think we experience true comfort when we experience connectivity. When we feel connected to people, we have people we can lean on. We have a family that we're doing life with. We're, we're connected with one another. I think we also feel comfort when we have unity with each other. When all of a sudden we're thinking the same way where our hearts just seem melded with one another and with God. We're showing love and experiencing love with each other. And joy is just a natural byproduct in our lives as we experience comfort. Things just, we wake up in a good mood. We wake up smiling and energetic. Moments of unexpected blessing, things that just go our way. I have a good friend that I grew up with. His name is Matt, and he used to always have this saying when he was around me. He's like, it's just good to be with Patrick. And we had some weird moments where just weird, random things would sometimes happen in my life that were very positive. I mean, even at a young age, I won a raffle where I won a Oriental rug, a motorcycle. I won a cruise one time on a, on a drawing. I've had a lot of crazy blessings that have happened in my life. But this one story, I just remember, he was like, Patrick, nobody else that would happen to this except for you. We were in seminary together. I was driving, and I ended up uh, coming out of class, and I had a flat tire on my car. And then I opened up my trunk, and I thought a calamity was about to ensue because when I opened up the trunk, my spare was flat as well. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, about that time, this guy drives up in a golf cart, and he says, what's going on? You know, you guys okay? And I said, well, actually, I have a flat tire, and my spare is flat. He was like, oh, let me take those for you. I actually have, I have a patch kit right across the street. So this guy, he has a jack with him. He comes up and jacks up my car, takes off the the wheel grabs my spare, and in 30 minutes, he brings back two patch tires and puts them back on my car. I don't even know who this guy is. I've never met him before in my life. And Matt is with me, and Matt looks at me, and he's like, that's just not right. He's like, if that was me, I would be stranded on the side of the road in the middle of the night, people buzzing by me, never even thinking, and you just stand here, and somebody shows up and comes to fix your tires. And this is what comfort is like sometimes in our life, right? These unexpected blessings, these things we know we don't deserve, but yet they come into our life. And this was happening in the church in Thessalonica. It's not like everything was perfect, but things were lining up. Things were going well. Comfort can come into our lives just as unexpectedly and suddenly as calamity and also just as slow and surely as it does. But I love how Paul, spe- Paul speaks about the comfort here the church is experiencing because they're not experiencing an isolation. What's happening in their world is making it out to other people, and even Paul's feeling comfort. And I want you to hear this this morning. Salvation in Christ is not salvation comfort for my pains of the world, for the pains of the world, but instead it is to bring comfort, hope, and peace to a hurting world. It's not to save me from and act like I'm never going to have a pain again, but when I experience comfort, salvation in my life gives me comfort to share with those around me. And the truth is, all of us are on this journey somewhere. I've never met anybody who has never, who has spent their entire life in the comfort cycle, and I've never met somebody who's met it, you know, state completely in calamity. And there are aspects of our life that we're regularly falling into, and I think one of the pieces of wisdom we can grab as we're reading this this morning is understanding that this is natural, and understanding where we are. And there's a, what I call just a cycle of comfort and calamity. And we, we walk through this each of us, we, let's just start in a good spot and say we're starting out in comfort this morning. Things are going well. We have a bright outlook, hopeful point of view, a smile on our faith, and we're walking through life going, what could go wrong? 
Nothing could go wrong. Everything's great. Everything is perfect. We feel like we're on a solid foundation. Everything is going good. You wake up, just relationships are good. It is a great day. When somebody asks you for a prayer request, it's hard for you to come up with something because you're like, it's a good day. It's just a good feeling, and we're in comfort. But the truth is, we've all probably been there, but we all probably begin to recognize this next stage of the cycle, which is erosion. Something subtle happens, a slight shift What seemed like rock solid a minute ago now seems a little loose. The pebbles start to move and things get a little bouncy when they were solid before. Our assuredness of our comfort seems to have diminished just a little bit, just slightly. But we can tell something is different. And then as that continues to deteriorate, we come to this onset of anxiety. This slight shift seems to become a larger crack. And now we seem to be teetering on the edge what was a sure thing now seems to be this balance, balancing on a razor's edge. What we once felt like we had a margin and a cushion now seems like one wrong step will defeat us. And all of a sudden we went from comfort to feeling it eroding to now we're feeling like we're on the brink of calamity. And then it comes. Calamity comes. Things go bad. Something is broken. Disaster strikes. The worst that could happen did. Comfort, comfort now seems like it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Different world. Like, how did I go from here to there? Now it seems like everything, the bottom just seems getting deeper and deeper, and we're in the midst of calamity. But the beautiful part is we don't stay there either. We've all experienced this in our life, is where we begin to experience some sense of relief. Unexpectedly, something or someone comes into our lives and brings steadiness and hope. They share a perspective that we haven't seen before. The problem isn't gone, but there's a relief. There's a change of view. There's maybe a glimmer of hope that we didn't see before. And then as we pursue that, as we begin to think through that, we begin to develop a renewal of our confidence. And we start to see a way forward. There's a ladder of hope. There's stairs of peace, and we start to see a firm foundation begin to form again in our lives, and there's a sense of comfort that starts to ease back in to our lives, and we move back into the comfort space in our lives. And I can imagine it would not take but maybe a minute for you to talk about how this has played out in your life. We could have moments of sharing all around this room where you've seen this, and you can probably identify where you are right now vocationally, emotionally, relationally on this cycle, where you're at. And I put this up there for you this morning because I just want you to know we're all on there somewhere. We're all going through this. We've all spun through this cycle many, many times. And we've got to learn some principles that we can hold on to from this passage that will allow us that we're in calamity, how to begin to climb out of it and build that solid foundation or we're in comfort how to use the excess blessings that we experience to bless others and that's what we're going to do in our time remaining is to grab some of these principles and to see what we can do so let's look first at what it means in calamity when you first get in that calamity here's what we don't need to do don't become worrisome it's not what paul did in verse two it says we see one of the amazing things that paul did in the midst of his calamity and affliction he sent timothy away that's insane to me. Like, if, when, if, I'm in, if I'm in great need, I don't send my best friend away. 
for a month or so to like go check on somebody else. I'm like, why aren't you hanging out with me? Why aren't you calling me? Why aren't you texting me? I'm the one having a bad day. Like, I'm not sending them away. But that's what Paul does here because he does not let worry overtake him. He, he does something I would not do. Instead of focusing his efforts on solving his own calamity, he starts to think about others. And why does Paul do this? I think it boils down to the fact that he's a man of faith. He's like, you know what? God's going to take care of me. I believe that. I've seen it. This cycle has played out in my life enough to know that I know God is going to take care of me. And Paul's faith is activated in distress. It's not tested in distress. This is a whole different way of living. Like for many of us, we think, all right, when it gets really bad, that's when my faith is tested. I think our faith is actually tested more in comfort than in his calamity. But when we are at the bottom, I think that's when our faith is actually activated. If we are people of faith, we start living it out. We start stepping, taking steps that we don't know where we're going. We're hitting obstacles. We have no clue how we're overcome. And that is faith activated, not tested. And that's how I think Paul did this. He was, he didn't, he was not worrisome because he was a man of faith. But then we see in comfort, we shouldn't become arrogant. We shouldn't become arrogant. Verse 6 says that they tell us of the good news of their faith and love of the church. In the midst of their comfort, they had not lost their faith and started to take credit for their own situation. Look what I've done. Look at what we did. As often as we blame God for our calamity sometimes, we just as often take credit for our own comfort. And the thing is this, it's it's a journey that we're on. It's not that God is creating calamity for us so that then we have to work our way out all the time. It is this idea that as circumstances come in our life, God is there in both calamity and in comfort. And the key thought I want you to grab is this. Through calamity, we can live by faith. And in comfort, we can live by dependence. The worst thing you do when you get comfortable is to start to think, I don't need God anymore. The test of your faith is really in that moment. Second principle that we'll look as we slide through this passage in verse 3, it says, In calamity, we should never wish it upon others. When we're in that bottom part down there, and, you know, Paul's hope is that no one else moved toward calamity because of their affliction. That's what he did in verse 3. He was like, I want to check and make sure you guys aren't hearing about our suffering and are losing your faith or you're not suffering as well. Again, this is not normal thinking. When we experience pain, what do we do? We often want others to experience it with us as well. For some of us, there's no worse feeling than like when we're in pain and discomfort and we're in the midst of calamity, the worst thing that can happen is for somebody to come and share good news with us. We're like, what? Don't tell me that. Like, I'm, a, I'm in the pit. Come down to the pit with me. And that's, but that's happened to Paul. Paul is in this midst of affliction and Timothy shows back up and he's like, how's the church doing? He's like, they are great. And Paul, if I was Paul, I'd be like, man, It's not fair. Like, I got them started. Well, how am I here? And they're there. But instead, he's like, no, what I'm experiencing right now, this claim, I don't don't want anybody else to experience. I'm not going to drag anybody else into my pain just to feel the pain with me. It does not mean that people can't come around and support us and help us. And we'll see that in just a minute. But it doesn't mean that it's my intent that when I'm drowning is to make others drown with me. And that's not what Paul did. How does Paul do this? I think because he's not viewing his, his calamity as a point of weakness in his life, but actually a way of growing in strength and faith. That he's actually building up his faith and he's growing in his salvation. Paul is literally working out his salvation in the midst of this. So in comfort, 
What do we do? In verse 6, it tells us that we shouldn't trivialize others that are going through pain. Verse 6 tells us that the church was thinking kindly and often of Paul and the others. The church had a heart for their plight, and instead of forgetting about them or moving away from them or even trivializing their need, they kept their brothers in the forefront of their mind. And I'm going to tell you, when you're in comfort, when you're at the top of that cycle, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to look at those in need and care. Because you don't want to go back there again. It's not somewhere you want to be again. So you, you distance yourself. You step away. You see somebody, a friend, in calamity in the midst, and you're like, I- I'll pray for you. I will pray for you. But I don't really want to get that involved. And we start to move away. But that's not what these people did. In comfort, they didn't trivialize others. They actually went toward them. They thought about them often and in kind ways of ways they could help. The key thought is this. Through calamity, we can provide strength through, because of our experience and the example that we can set. And in comfort, we can provide support because of the excess that we've experienced. Third thing is this. As we slide down to verse 4, it says, In calamity, we should not wallow in our pity. Verse 4, Paul reminds the church and himself that all of them knew that this moment would come. Suffering was going to come. He's like, we were destined for it. There's no doubt. He reminds them that no one is immune to this. And too often when we experience calamity in our lives, we wallow in the muck of pity. We feel sorry for ourselves. We want others to feel sorry for us. We never get past the ability to ask the question, why? We constantly stay on that. Why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And we never move past that to the question of what can I learn from this and how is this strengthening me? A lot of times we can find that we're wallowing in pity when the only question we're asking is why. And instead of moving toward the how and what. How does Paul do this? Because he remembers that in calamity is part of our life and it will always be part of our life. It will never be solved. In the midst of that, at our very lowest, he doesn't turn his attention inward. Instead, he turns it outward. It's a beautiful picture of beginning to serve and to think about others, even at a low point. But what about in comfort then? In comfort, what we shouldn't do is we should not gloat in our pleasure in the excess that we have. Verse 7 and 8, it says that the faith of the church actually brought comfort to Paul and the others. Sometimes a reminder of what comfort and peace are like is the most needed thing for those who experience calamity. But sometimes instead of allowing our faith to bring comfort, we gloat and have a smugness that acts like, you know, we'll never experience that again. I finally got it figured out. If you would just get serious about your faith or would you stop making these kind of mistakes, you could be at the top of the cycle like me and we think we're never going to end up back here and we start to have this smugness about us and we gloat. And gloating is one of the worst character qualities of a person, right? I mean, you know people, you've, you've, we've all gloated in here. I mean, like, I, don't, I even feel bad when I do it. Like, I do it, and I'm like, man, that, that, that was an ugly part of what I did. Like, we all do that sometimes. We fall into that temptation. And there's just no benefit to it. Like, hoarding your pleasure, hoarding your blessings. And the key thought I want you to grab is this. Through, through calamity, we can serve. Instead of wallowing, we can serve others. And that's what Paul did. Right? He served, he sent Timothy, but in comfort, we can sacrifice. In comfort, we can sacrifice where we're at and what we're doing to bring aid to those in need. The final thing I want us to end with and the lesson principle I want us to grab is this. In calamity, we should not get woeful. And here's what I mean when we talk about woeful. Paul wants to make sure that the pain of his calamity doesn't spread, that it has little impact as it can. He doesn't want it to others to suffer because of his suffering. And that's what we see in verse 5. 
But we often do the opposite. Instead of trying to stem the impact of our own affliction, we start believing that nothing good will ever come my way again. We stop believing that there is hope. We lose sight of that and we become woeful. Woe is me. Everything bad that can happen will happen. If it's going to happen to somebody, it's going to happen to me. And we live this life of woe, regret, hopelessness. How does Paul not do this? Because he, he has hope. Always. Always. This is the beauty of, I love reading through the letters of Paul. Many of his letters are written from prison. He's writing letters after he had just been beaten and literally thrown out for dead. And all of his letters create one thing, which is hope. There's something beyond this. There's something that we can hope for. And he has hope always. God's grace, God's goodness, God's faithfulness and comfort is greater than any calamity that will ever come into his life. And he believes that. What about, that's in calamity, but in comfort, we should not grow complacent. Verse 9 and 10, we hear Paul talk about how he wants to help them supply any lacking in their faith. Undoubtedly, when Timothy came back, as great of a report he got, he also came back and said that the church replied, we still need some help. There's still some things we're lacking on. If you could help us, here's where it is. And Paul says, we'll, we'll be praying for that. What can we do to do that? And this is part of the reason he even wrote the letter, is to answer some of those questions. And this is what I love for this church. Even in their comfort, even though things were going well, they said, we're not done. We're not complete. We're not finished. We still have room to grow. They realized that their peace did not come from their circumstances, but instead from their connection to Christ. So here's the key thought. Through calamity, we can express hopefulness, be hopeful. And in comfort, we can experience peace. Peace. So my question for you today is this. Have you experienced hope and peace in your current position on the cycle of comfort and calamity? Wherever you're at, maybe you're at the top and you're, you feel like you got everything, everything's going great, like today is a beautiful day and everything is it. Or are you actually experiencing peace in that point or are you just trying to hold on to make sure it doesn't go away? Are you willing to, even in the, when the cycle begins, it's downward turn, are you willing to hold on to that peace even when your circumstances change? Or maybe you're at the bottom this morning. Maybe your life is just wrecked, wrecked. You think beyond repair. Would you this morning be willing to hold out, put on the lens of hope, and start to look differently at your life? And no matter what circumstance you're facing right now, life and death situations, marriage is ending, friends breaking up, difficulty in your finances, whatever it is you think you can't overcome, would you put on the lens of hope? I want you to hear this morning, the gospel of peace and salvation of Christ will radically change how we view both comfort and calamity. Without Christ, we will look down on ourselves and around when our, at our circumstances and calamity. We'll keep our focus looking, what's next? What's wrong with me? Without Christ, we will look into ourselves and think we are the source of comfort when we're experiencing great joy in our life. Look at me. But salvation in Christ allows us to put on the lens of hope and focus our hearts and minds on Christ no matter our standing and comfort, our calamity. And my challenge to you this morning is wherever you are on that cycle, would you be willing to reach out to Christ for salvation? Let me bow your head and close your eyes with me. As we come to the end of our 
teaching time, it's uh, always good to take a moment and process what we've heard. And to allow this truth to play into our lives and plant itself into our hearts. It's very easy sometimes to remember just a piece or a portion. But my prayer for us this morning is that we allow God's truth in this moment to be planted in our heart. Because maybe you don't need this truth today. Maybe you're in comfort. Maybe you're, things are okay. But calamity will come your way. And you're going to need this hopefulness. Or maybe you've forgotten God in your comfort right now. And you need to have his peace pour, poured back into your life by being dependent on him, by sacrificing for others. God, it's our prayer this morning. It's our earnest prayer that we would trust you in the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, and the comfort of life and in the calamities of our life as well. God, whether we're just learning about who you are and how we engage with you, that we would understand that you're a God who's good, who wants good for us, who cares for us, who's not setting traps for us, who's not out to get us, God, you're also a God who doesn't leave us in the pit, doesn't leave us in our calamity and in our pain for us to solve it for ourselves. God, you are there. God, you're also not a God that we don't need when things are going well. Because, God, you can give us more than we can ever imagine. You can God, continue to grow and strengthen us. God, let us not leave you any part of our life and the highs are the lows. Let us reach out to you always for salvation.